0: Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com slash audio.
1: My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years. With No success. I've been telling
2: everybody that I've ever been a shade, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. The hollow earth, two of those aliens invading, it in the water, the strange guys daily. When I talk about these things, they things think I'm crazy. crazy. There's no escaping any anyone that evil that we're facing. Illuminati might control the sacrificing babies. The end of days, but anyways, my family thinks I'm crazy.
1: But what they don't want to listen to. You. No, they don't want to listen. They don't want to hear it. They're just like, oh, here we go, Mark off again with just your mark being and mark again. yeah <laughs> yeah so you know that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air and it's like therapy you know if i can't talk to my family about this stuff i'll talk to you matt and all our listeners you know, just tell your whole podcast. yeah so who are we talking about today matt For nearly three decades, the world has been haunted by a series of unsolved cases. Young men found dead in bodies of water across America and beyond. The official cause of death is always labeled as an accidental drowning, but a growing number of people believe there's something far more sinister at play. These deaths have become known as the smiley face killings. A sinister phenomenon that has confounded investigators, devastated families, and left a trail of unanswered questions in its wake. Who is behind these murders? Is it the work of a lone killer, or something more sinister, more organized? Today, we delve deep into the mystery of the smiley face killings. Uncovering the chilling details of this bizarre and terrifying phenomena with none other than investigator William Ramsey. Who joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with William Ramsey.
0: The thing that's consistent on all the cases that I've studied, I've studied 120, now I'm like probably at 140 now, but the consistent thing is nobody sees them, goes into the water, and oftentimes these guys aren't drinking that much. So they're not, you know, nobody sees them wasted like these most recent guy who was last seen at uh, Jonathan Honey at a taco truck he was sober enough to go to the taco truck and ask for food so supposedly he then suddenly got super drunk and then drowned in the water. So there's a lot of suspicious things and then the most recent case that a guy was missing for 33 days in Chicago, Seamus Gray, there's literal, he's disappeared on St. Patrick's Day there is literal TV video of him walking and texting at the same time.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy Podcast and here we are with a returning champion, someone who's covered a lot of really, really fascinating topics. Some of them, you know, they're they're Better left to folks like William Ramsey, I think, because I don't have the stomach to do the research that this man does. William Ramsey, you know him from his podcast, William Ramsey Investigates. He has a number of books and films that you can check out right now. They're out there. You can go to WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com to check all of that out. But today... I asked William to come back on the show, and it turns out this is a great time to have him on, considering his expertise and the recent discovery that these smiley face killings may still be taking place to this day, whether or not the city of Austin wants to acknowledge that. We're going to get into the details of that today, but either way, William, welcome to the show. How are you, sir?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for the invite back, Mark. It's great to be with you again. It's been been too long.
1: Yeah, thank you. You're a great researcher. And like I said, you know, you're researching some things that I I personally, I get the chills looking into some of this stuff because there's a dark reality to uh, the occult and paranormal. And I think a lot of people maybe wade into that subject with a lot of curiosity and naivete. And it's great, you know, to have a, a person like you who's sort of, I guess, clarifying that it's not all you know roses and and sunshine so we're gonna wade into that in a moment but I, I do want to ask you and excuse me if I ask you this the first time you're on the show if folks haven't heard our first interview together go back and listen to that but you know where did this interest start for you i mean in my opinion you're, you're kind of like a pi you're kind of like a detective you know but in the sense that you know you're writing about this stuff rather than you know using a badge to go chase down criminals i mean do you have a, a background in law enforcement what, what got you into this stuff william
0: I think it was just following the trail. I just, each one of these books or projects that I came up with came out of an earlier project. So I looked into Crowley and that led me to the West Memphis three, which led me to the Crowley's followers, which was my third book, children of the beast. And while I was researching children of the beast, I kept seeing the smiley face around and seeing it in common culture and Alan Moore. And that's kind of what led me to the smiley face killers, which is what this, phenomenon has been termed by the two guys who kind of researched it from the beginning again and at Gilbertson, but it just was kind of just one thing led to the other. And a lot of these things, I kind of had a, an impression on those subjects that was very topical. So it made me want to research like this phenomenon I thought was a, urban myth. I thought it was like Bigfoot or something like that, or the, Mm. I don't know, you know, some other kind of myth. But then I started really researching it and I started following cases and found that it really was happening, that there really were young men all over the country and the world, in fact, that have met by misadventure and ended up in water. And a lot of it's inexplicable. They're not explained by going to the, you know, somebody sees them. I'm going to go take a dip in the water see you guys, I'll be back in a half an hour. But they're more of like, oh, they were acting strange, then they disappeared, and then they were found in water, you know, 25, 30 days later. So I categorized those two, those kind of deaths and put together two documentaries. The first one was done in 2017. Title is Smiley Face Killers, who is abducting, murdering, and torturing men in the U.S. and U.K. And then the second one I did over COVID, and that was titled... Smiley face killers, the global slaughter continues because it's happening in England and Netherlands and France and things like that. So something strange is happening on the global scale, something criminal. But something's happened recently where these cases have started to happen in Chicago and Austin. Right. And so there's a lot going on. And really, I've never, it's really, in all the time I've been researching this, it's been six or seven years. This is an extraordinary, unprecedented Time of these types of disappearances and water deaths is a way to put it in.
1: Yeah. yeah and, and how far back? I mean, because Gilbertson and Gannon, they were, you know, they coined the term. And I remember, let's say, probably six years ago, I remember listening to a couple podcasts about this and around the same time seeing this smiley face in. Um, media like just unrelated and maybe like a I think a superhero movie or something like that I remember seeing like a smiley face and having that similar thought to you like oh this must be one of these you know creepy pasta type internet rumor things you know but I soon found out no there's a darkness to it when were the first smiley face killings I mean were, were Gilbertson and Gannon they, were they looking at cold case files or were they looking at things that were happening contemporary to them
0: I think it was contemporary to them. So I think Gilbert Gilbertson is in, I think, Wisconsin. I think he's in Alclair, Wisconsin, where their young men were being found in water. So he was seeing this phenomenon happen firsthand. He's a professor. And then Gannon is a New York Police Department member who saw that happening in New York City, which is kind of a hot spot. But really the first case, and they've done 14 cases analyzed on their book, Case Studies in Drowning Forensics, and... They also did a six-part series on oxygen, about six cases. So, But their original case, which they call their original, is a guy by the name of Patrick McNeil, who disappeared. He was a student at Fordham University, kind of the far north part of Manhattan. And he was at a bar and walked out, disappeared, and was later found in kind of a water treatment facility down the Hudson in a kind of a bad shape. And so that was kind of the first case. But then all these cases started stacking up around the country. So they just they were the ones who gave the name Smiley Face Killers to this phenomenon because they said they found the smiley face associated with these deaths where they think the bodies were put in water. And so they became the smiley face killers. Usually it was spray painted in kind of an orange or red smiley face, sometimes with horns. But they're still around, actually. They again and just did an interview in January, fairly recently, for Barstool Chicago because of what's happening in Chicago. So he explained kind of all the cases and they, he, he made statements like, hey, we have a lot of graffiti associated with this. He said something like 13 or 14 symbols. So they know stuff that I don't. I've never really gone on site and looked at these cases, I've really just kind of looked at them through the media but uh, those are really kind of the beginning cases were what really, year was that probably that was 97 okay. mcneil was 97 and it's just kind of taken off from there really slowed down over covid and then now it's kind of just burning up it's picked up again right in a in a strange yeah very uncomfortable way well and all I... over the country it's not just really chicago or austin too there's other cities
1: yeah and and you know we should say you know Chicago and Austin this is like within the past month or two there have been bodies that have turned up and I have been keeping up with Austin just as a comedy fan there's tons of stuff going on in Austin uh, you know, people who aren't interested in comedy might not know this but there's recently you know all these festivals and Joe Rogan's bringing all these comics there so Austin's becoming like this kind of new hot spot where you know a lot of people went especially during the the pandemic you know because it was less restricted over there so i imagine yeah given that this crime kind of requires there to be an active party social scene you know it's probably predicated on where people are actually doing that and that tends to be places where universities are right where there's young people this is the demographic of typically unless we're looking at a place like New York city where you could have people up to their, you know, forties going out every night partying. Right. That's more of like a a city lifestyle, but yeah, it's fascinating. Now I've heard you say on other interviews that you've written about this, that you don't believe these are, this is a single operative. This is a, this has to be a sort of syndicate or a loose group of, of people. Right. I mean, what, what indicates that?
0: Well, just because it's happening in two geographic areas. So the same kind of things are happening in Austin and Chicago. So it makes me think somebody isn't traveling between Austin and Chicago. Somebody may be communicating. So I've surmised, other researchers have surmised, that it's a cellular group, smaller groups, who know this kind of MO that they can drug people and kind of get away with the crimes that they want to commit for whatever motive it usually doesn't have. There's new, often no kind of financial kind of motivation. So something else is going on. Oftentimes, these guys don't have their credit cards run or anything like that. Mm. But I I think it's that's the same. Not just recently, but all through time is that there's been other hotspots. So Boston, New York, Chicago. Now Austin. Austin is kind of strange. It wasn't always as what it was like now. But I mean, you could do an overlapping study on some of these most recent cases. Cases and these guys probably. You know, it would be unbelievable to think one guy's flying in between, for me, between Austin, Houston, Chicago, because there were three in in Houston, like these names, Ridge Cole, Delana Brooks, Tevion Bass, all happened kind of very close to each other. And then there were also some other ones. I mean, the Austin cases recently are Jason John, Jonathan Honey, Cliff Axtell, John Christopher Hayes Clark was found just the 15th of April. So that was fairly recent.
1: And you did um, you did just excuse me if I heard this incorrectly, but did you mention Alana Brooks? Is that a female? Because they tend no, to be D'Elana, typically it's
0: a, it, it was an African American actually he was oh. missing
1: thirteen days, yeah.
0: So and Burks in in Houston, and so it wasn't even in Austin. But basically,
1: but, um, the point is is that they're all males. The victims are right, all right, right. males. This is another one of these consistencies with this pattern, and another interesting thing to note is that. Especially in Austin. I mean, New York City, Boston, right? You're on the ocean. This is a harbor town. There are places where people can, you know, fall in the water theoretically, right? And maybe, you know, get swept away by the current. But in a place like Austin, this this body of water that people are being found in, I mean, can't be more than 15, 20 feet deep at its most, right? I mean, it's a very shallow body of water.
0: Yeah, and it's it's not really a fast-moving body of water. It's a lake. You can just go take pictures. You can look at it online, probably a live-action shot. You just would pop back up. So why are they being found there? Why isn't anybody seeing them drowned? Right. No, people are saying they're walking down this kind of long distance to go to the lake, to go to the bathroom, and then suddenly they're able to get there. But once they fall in, they flop around for a minute and drown. Like, it's pretty... Strange, strange credulity for me to to believe that these guys are able to supposedly walk there and then suddenly lose their capacities. If anything, it would wake them up and like, Hey, I got to get out of here. Right. If they were really drunk. So the thing that's consistent on all the cases that I've studied, I've studied 120. Now I'm like probably at 140 now, but the consistent thing is nobody sees them goes into the water. And oftentimes these guys aren't drinking that much. So they're not, you know, nobody sees them wasted. Like these most recent guy who was last seen at a, uh, Jonathan Honey at a taco truck, he was sober enough to go to the taco truck and ask for food. So supposedly he then suddenly got super drunk and then drowned in the water. Right. So there's a lot of suspicious things. In, and then the most recent case that a guy was missing for 33 days in Chicago, Seamus Gray, there's literal, he, he's disappeared on St. Patrick's Day. There is literal TV video of him walking and texting at the same time. So if you're beyond your capacity to kind of, if you're so drunk, you wouldn't be able to walk and text at the same time. It just is, it's not believable. Maybe he was drunk, but he was acting very strange. He went missing. This is all the same kind of theme. People go out in a massive search. Families get involved. PIs, private no. investigators are hired. They look th- through these places and then the body magically shows up, you know, later. Seamus Green is a perfect example, showed up in a place he should have been found maybe right. three days later.
1: Now, with these victims, do they tend to be loners or are they often like with a group of people before they're they're missing? I mean, what's are they just college students or going to a place where typically, you know, they know their peers will be? I mean, how how is there a pattern there with the, the sort of personal lives of these these victims?
0: It seems like a mix, but what happens is if they are with the group, they get separated one way or another. So they either get thrown out of the bar, they start a fight with somebody. somebody. Seamus Gray was fighting on the ground with somebody, a very strange kind of wrestling on the cement. Right. So, you know, people have surmised, and it goes all the way back to Gilberton again, and they found a lot of these guys had over, you know, amounts of GHB in their their blood, which is gammy, hydroxybutyrate, I think is the technical term which is endogenous it's in your body but when you have too much of it you black out and so then the body processes it metabolizes it but i think that that's kind of what is happening is some of these guys if not most of them are getting drugged and so then the crime that happens they if they don't get abducted they don't remember what happened and they had a case in austin actually a fairly recent case november ninth 2019 a guy by the name of christopher when missing was found kind of in the brushes near the river, he he had lost the last three days of his time. He had no idea what happened to him. So I think a lot of these guys are getting drugged with powerful drugs, maybe or something like that. And then followed.
1: Now, now, uh, obviously people are are drinking alcohol. Now this GHP, I'm not familiar with, Particularly, I think the assumption with that most drugs is that all you they're they're all in pill form. Is this a pill form? Are they maybe like using some sort of liquid GHP? I mean, how are they slipping this into the, the drinks seamlessly?
0: I think GHP is actually liquid, okay.
1: and it is flavorless.
0: So wow. you can, people wouldn't even
1: know if they got. So they're theoretically, uh, you know, yeah, using like a squirt a bottle. Yeah, a little like dropper. They could, you know, knock into somebody and all of a sudden they're squirting something in their beard. And you don't notice because, oh, you're, you know, fumbling your drink around. It's splashing everywhere.
0: Now, they just had a case in New York City. They got arrested in April of four guys who were going around drugging people mm. and stealing their stuff. And people died. People died from the drugging. Like, wow. they didn't know, nobody knew that they were drugged. And there was a series of deaths, and then the police kind of tracked it back and caught these guys. Right. But it shows that this does happen. Now, these guys who got busted, and they were preying pray, on guys in gay bars and all kinds of places like that, but it just goes to show it's happening in other cities. Now, what other stuff these guys were involved with, whether they're involved in any other murders, they said the police file on that case said that they – could be involved in as many as 17 other cases. Hmm. So something like that may just to explain what's going on in Austin and Chicago is that people are preying on vulnerable people to either steal their stuff or, Well, other really nefarious things, yeah.
1: Yeah, I heard you talking about this, and you know, one of the aspects of that case was the they were using the you know face identification feature on phones to you know gain access to places maybe on their phone where they would have needed a password otherwise, right? So if someone's passed out, you have their face right there, you're on their phone, you unlock it because you're just you know pushing it in front of their face. I mean, yeah, Mm -hmm. that that might explain some of this, but. Now, you know, these sorts of intoxicants, these illicit drugs are used frequently in, you know, the gay community, you know, night scene, nightclub scene. Is that a pattern with these smiley face killings? Do these victims tend to be, you know, people who are frequenting those sorts of locations? Are they part of the gay culture or gay community?
0: It's a good question. When I first started studying these cases, there was a over proportion or preponderance of people were in the gay community the first victims that i studied i think were gay and on gay apps it was joey labute and dakota james one was ohio the other's pittsburgh pennsylvania and then i there was there's like these gay predators that are out there that have been caught in perth australia places all over the world perth australia london england manchester the most prolific male rapist of all time in england was caught a couple years ago, two or three years ago, his name was Raynard Sinaga. Very, I mean, like you want to talk about somebody who fit into the community. He was from Indonesia, didn't look scary at all, but did his technique and they busted him. And what he was doing is he would wait till two a.m. and go to the bars and invite people back. Hey, you want to have a drink? Usually, and he was he was he he learned his trade over time, so to speak. So he would go and he lived in the gay community. And he would he liked to he bragged about raping non-gay members. He liked to, to rape men who were straight. But he would bring them back, give them a drink with drugs, rape, and they never remembered. So he would either kind of get them home or something like that. So they wouldn't even remember their rape. The reason he got busted is somebody woke up and during the drugging, called the cops, the cops got him, and then they looked through his phone and they realized. He had pictures of like 70 or 80 people in there of different men. So he had been doing it for a while. And you can look up his name, Raynard Sinaga, S-I-N-A-J-G-A. Yeah, and they he's... kept it quiet. It was like a matter of almost like national security in the UK. They didn't want any press on it until he got convicted. Mm. And then he got convicted and he went to jail for the rest of his life. But he was part of the LGBT community. He went to a gay church called John Chrysostomose or something like that in, in Manchester. And do you, if you saw him on the street, you would just not even, I mean, I guess that's probably the real thing about these predators is they try not to look like predators. He didn't look like a predator. Right. He was a full predator. So I think that something like that may be happening in these other communities. We know we've seen the story of Jeffrey Dahmer too, who was in Milwaukee and eventually was a predator in Chicago. He was drugging people for years and right. raping them and doing everything. He actually got, got kicked out of a gay bathhouse for drugging people. So what if somebody like him and that kind of profile is doing the same thing to unsuspecting people in Austin and Chicago and really doing horrible things and then, you know, giving more drugs and then they dr- They drowned or they're drowned in somebody's bathtub and then they're taken and, and put in the water. So then the the cops go, oh, they, look, he drowned. He drowned in the Lake Michigan. But some of these places they are just not lethal bodies of water. Like it's very hard to believe that they would actually do this. They're not normal water deaths, too. Right. It's not like Joe went to the beach at three o'clock. He's not a good swimmer, and then he didn't he got caught in a riptide and died. These are people who are going out with no intent to go to the water, having drinks with friends, acting strange, separated, and then never seen again until found in water. So yeah. I believe all a lot of these are body tomes. Like there's hundreds of
1: them. Now, is there a way, you know, let's say, because it is there was one aspect to a case you mentioned earlier about, you know, a person being found in a body of water that was previously searched. Is there any indications with the, you know, the the victims, of corpses that they may have been, you know, let's say killed before being put in the water, you know, would their body maybe appear to have drowned because, let you know, your lungs will fill with water and whatnot. Is there any indications There's that that lot. might, yeah. yeah.
0: There's a lot of those cases. The first one I mentioned to you, McNeil, the the parents didn't see the autopsy until like 10 years later. Mm. They got the autopsy for McNeil and gave it to Cyril Weck, like one of the most prominent well-respected forensic pathologist and he said this guy's been hit in the head with a hammer and somebody blowtorched the top of his body off like he was stuck in a chair so that was never divulged to the parents they had to find out through a third party so that's one example there's many others were strange one of the cases that gilbertson and gannon found i think it was in where was it, La Crosse, it lacrosse wisconsin or something like that the guy had clearly been frozen he was frozen when he got put in the water. So somebody tried to do something with his body, and that was why the Iceman, that one serial killer, got his nickname, because he would confuse police by freezing some of his victims before he dumped them. Hmm. So that's happened in, in one of these smiley face killing cases. And some of them just aren't really very well recorded. A lot of these medical examiners, I think, are not doing a very good job. And so, so some of these people are found. They don't have water. I'd have to go back and look at the cases. Water in their lungs, but so many of them are in places where they've already been searched, like Joey Labude in where was that? It's a Columbus, Ohio. Mm. There's a really Shane Montgomery in outside of Philadelphia. He was. They were searching in water that was three feet deep, and they couldn't find him. They could find his car keys. And then, like, a week later, he shows up in that same body of water. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. Did he go through some kind of space portal? But that's a perfect example of a guy who was drinking, kind of got separated from his, you know, friends and went out somewhere and was never seen again alive. So hmm. I do think that these most of the cases that I've gone through are definitely people who have met with misadventure. And I think it's kind of the perfect crime. These, the police are not incentivized to, to research it. And it looks like a, you know, water death. They don't go through, you know. But some of these are really, like Tommy Booth outside of Philadelphia is another example. Like, he was found in, like, six inches of water Mm. in a place that was easily searched. Now, you can look up the Tommy Booth case. You can look up the Chris Jenkins case where the police changed their determination as accidental death to manslaughter Mm. over time due to his mom's involvement. But there's so many cases like this where they bungled things or... You know,
1: mis mis mislabeled it as an accident when it really probably wasn't. Right now, I was listening to a researcher on a podcast. I think you've been on before. If not, I gotta put you in touch with this gentleman, Steven Snyder. His podcast is yeah, his podcast is yeah, yeah, the Farm Recluse. He he did a podcast with another researchers looking into the smiley face killings in the northern parts of, like the maybe the northernmost cases, like along the Great Lakes, Wisconsin, and you know, northern up above Chicago, right? And, Do you remember uh, his
0: name? Do you remember the researcher's name?
1: No, he had, you know, one of these like, uh, you know, surnames like or a pseudonym. So I, I don't remember his pseudonym, but I'll find the episode and send it to you. Yeah. And one of the aspects that I found really interesting, because Stephen actually, he went up there with this gentleman and did a little bit of like boots on the ground looking around. And they were talking about how the bars in this one particular area, there seemed to be More bars than you would normally have in a regular town, like too many bars, almost, you know, to, you know, alert some sort of suspicion, you know, why are there so many bars in one area? And they were talking about how upon further investigation, you know, there there's some stories where people were maybe using these bars to launder money. I think even in the George Floyd case, there was something about him going to a bar where he had exchanged counterfeit bills and they were sort of laundering counterfeit through a certain bar that George Floyd was a part of. And then, you know, it makes me wonder if this sort of crime, the perfect crime, as you put it, I think, you know, that's a good way to, to describe it. Because it seems to go off without a hitch. What if these bars are somehow complicit? I mean, the bartender is the perfect culprit in the sense that, you know, everybody's implicitly trusting him to make their drinks, right? So he could have some glass that's prepared with the liquid you know, intoxicant in it, throw some alcohol on top, hand it to the victim of the night and then maybe security knows, okay, throw this guy out. Boom, now there he's you know, and all it takes is for two guys who work at the bar to be a part of it now and whoever else, you know, is outside. And the other thing that kind of came up in this realm speculating here is the the graffiti that's in all of these locations. What if this is a a sort of marker for the perpetrator set up by whoever's kind of scheming this, like, Hey, I'm going to mark a smiley face at a certain location. That's how, you know, this is the spot, you know, and and then there's this sort of kind of prearranging that's going on where, you know, maybe they know this spot's going to be dark. There's not going to be any cops in the region. There's not going to be any people in the region. So they tag it, the guy who's, you know, committing the crime, maybe it, initiated into this gang, right? That's his jump in. He's got to commit this crime. Okay. I found the smiley face, boom, throw the guy in the, you know, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I think this is what we need to do to start to, you know, find some, some avenues. I'm sure you do this all the time looking into this stuff. Like, you know, it's a big part of how I'm sure you find more information is just by asking questions and seeing if there's anything there. That's an interesting belief. I mean, when Seamus Gray was found, somebody
0: did a smiley face near near there. I don't know if that's a perpetrator or somebody just culture jamming or, you Mm -hmm. know, trolling. But there was something there. So maybe that's the case. Maybe that's how they're doing it. And people have surmised, and I think they're correct, is that these guys know where the CCTV cameras are. Mm -hmm. They know where the police cameras are. And they do that all over the – it's the same thing that happens – in the UK where they actually put their CCTV cameras on a website so you can find out where they are. Like if you're criminally astute and you know, you're going through the planning, you're not like a rage killer or somebody, an impulse type of person. That's what you're going to do. You're going to lurk outside of that area for victims. And that's really what happens. Like I did, there was a guy Wilkins out of Bath UK. There's like video of him walking and he walks outside the camera. Then he disappeared and was later found in a pond. Like, literally, you would just dust yourself up and get out of there. But uh, Mm. So I think that if this is something going on, like a group of people who are, you know, involved in this kind of activity, you would be smart. And I think that there may be women involved, too. Like, the cell structure may not just be men. Like, maybe that's kind of, like, what makes these men more susceptible is that, oh, so there's a girl here. Okay, we're fine. There was a killer in France who was like, a, he was raped young girls, but he had a wife. His wife was involved in it, and she knew. She knew everything. It was right around the same time as Dutreau, in that same kind of area in northern France. can't remember the name of it, but it is really sick. And they had a kid, too, but the husband was like a serial child rapist. And she would that was how she would break down the barriers of the women. Oh, you want to get in? She'd be talking to him, and then the husband would rape and kill him. It's unbelievable. They would hold him to sausage in the house, too, so they would be, like, locked up in a chamber. So maybe something like that's happening. I don't know. But I do know that the police have kind of dropped the ball on some of these cases. And the one case that, like, where the actual people got involved, the family members, was this guy, Stephen Port, who is a serial killer. In the east of london and the family requested the cctv one of the victims said yeah i want the cctv something the police didn't do and they saw that and said who's that guy with my brother my brother was found dead and the next day well, who is this guy and the police had not looked into it so oh. there's come maybe this this whole thing could be solved if some of the police got on the ball right and looked at some of this cameras and like looked around or actually put cameras and people had walked around there's great interest right now in these cases, new researchers that I've never seen before because people are detecting a simple pattern in Austin and Chicago. And they're walking around. There's new guys with faces. I've never heard their names before, but now I kind of know. One's really famous in Chicago. He has like a million followers on his TikTok. But like they're looking and you can see the cameras are there. There's, they're looking at the cameras. They're like, what? how are we thinking our way through this? Mm. And there's been actually a really interesting case in boston where there's been other deaths like Kelleher and early who i remember offhand but there were a bunch of them there but this kid was at td garden and walked out to go to literally go to the bathroom and somebody hit him in the head with a crowbar and he was in the water for two two minutes during a very busy time so why did somebody do that and then that they like people went in to help him but it was like somebody was like deliberately trying to murder him for i don't know whatever reason whatever strange reason it is like the motive is is really kind of a mystery, but yeah, there's more people involved, more people asking questions than I've ever seen. It's really incre- an incredible phenomenon that's taking place because there's so many, this whole string of deaths. Yeah.
1: yeah wow. That's fascinating. It's really, really
0: grim. And and- one more thing before I Go forget ahead, is that ahead. if you look very North in Thunder Bay, mm. there's a, been a string of indigenous kids found in water there. Mm. So it's kind of like a body dump. Like somebody's being the Canadian system is like there's like a history of abusing these Indian slash really indigenous kids, but you can go to Thunder Bay. There's been like five or ten deaths there, so somebody's probably killing and abusing these kids and dumping them in water in Thunder Bay. So it's it's not just young men. So it's just a form of like getting rid of
1: bodies. Yeah. Wow. Now, when it comes to Austin. I was doing some research in Austin a few months ago with some friends on another podcast titled Esoteric America. And one of the things that came up in our research was that the first axe murders, serial killer with an axe, occurred in in Austin, at least in American history, the first. And with that case, there was rumors or suspicion that it wasn't one lone axeman operating on his own. Some people even thought maybe there was a group involved. Other people that we looked into speculated that the electric companies that set up these public lights soon afterwards maybe were somehow to blame financing a group of people to, you know, cause an imperative for them to, you know, for their business to kick off. I mean, that's sort of a jaded against capitalism explanation but there is the whole moon tower in austin that's where that came from those moon towers that uh, you know they're just very tall light beam light posts in the city but it was interesting that with this case and several other axe murder cases that there's thought that oh it wasn't one person it was it had to be a group of people has there ever been um you know historically a, a like a criminal group. I mean the West Memphis Three is one example, and we will talk about them in a moment. But are there any other groups that have been no, caught the, for these cited yeah, crimes? The Ripper
0: the Ripper crew in Chicago was a satanic influence group of like three or four guys who preyed on women. Mm. Like they would snatch women and do horrible, unspeakable things. So that's one example. A lot of the some of the cases that I've studied on gay serial killers Two of them, authors who wrote books about these stories, said that they could not have operated by themselves. One was Randy Kraft in L.A., who had 100 victims. Like, the guy was a savage serial killer over a long period of time. You can look up Randy Kraft, L.A. And then the other one was a guy by the name of Eiler in the Midwest who was a very clever predator, still getting people out of bars. And I think they killed, like, 18. But he took them back to someplace that another guy owned but they didn't have enough evidence to charge him so they think that those two were kind of working in tandem and Eiler was kind of a clever guy like he would switch in between jurisdictions to commit his crime so that the jurisdictions wouldn't work with each other so he was smart He eventually got busted and he died of aids but those are examples of people working in, in groups and just like the, the, the french couple that i just told you about i wish i could remember their name like working like a Bonnie and Clyde's kill thing. They thought they wrote down and said that they had 30 victims all over France, so this, they were up to no good. They were terrible human beings. Mm. So so I do think that that may be the case. That's what people have to, I think the police have to, or the, the, the public may be the ones who solve these crimes. But, uh, they have to look out for something unusual, not the obvious kind of caricature of a serial killer. Right. I think they're going to find something very different.
1: Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'm biased given my recent research, but is there any indications that maybe this is a group that's within the university system? I mean, are there, is there a pattern here where there happens to be colleges where these victims are found? Because, I mean, you think about a group like, well, Skull and Bones, for example, they have other Chapters or iterations of itself throughout other universities. You know, one in Utah, as far away as Utah. I mean, even California Berkeley was set up by a skull and bonesman. So clearly, they have I mean, this kind of network. They have a
0: building for for that guy, Gilman. Stroud yeah, Hall.
1: Yeah, what is it? Coit Daniel Gilman. Coit Gilman. Yeah, yeah, Gilman Hall. Yeah, i remember that? And and he, you know, uh, not to put any cast any aspersions against the infamous skull and bones i'm not trying to you know you know say that they're a part of this but that's an example of you know one of these groups that clearly operates outside of its bounds of the university i mean you think there there's a possibility that people of the same age as the victims are a part of this
0: Perhaps. I mean, I I really don't know. I think that it's probably like Stephen Port was kind of in his 40s and he was a a predator for younger boys, Mm -hmm. younger men. So I probably would find the middle age. A person, another person who I studied for my second documentary was a guy who was arrested outside of Lansing, Michigan. His name was Latunsky. Look him up, but his social media was so strange. He was formerly married and then became gay and was like literally like a gay prostitute he was selling himself but he hated christianity and he was part of this kind of network online kind of like people who were interested in the same things he was which is bondage sadomasochism and like this weird werewolf group that they like had hints to each other like i'm going out hunting tonight and The stuff like that. He only got busted for one death. And it's an interesting case because he might be responsible for other deaths. But just the fact that he was networked with these people and he had like a hairdresser lover. He was never charged. But he actually just got sentenced this year, I think, Latunsky. But he, there was a young man who was on this gay app. His name is easy to remember because his name was Kevin Bacon, like the actor. And then he disappeared And the cops found his, like, traced his phone to Latunsky's house. And they said, can we come in and look around? He said, yes. They looked around, and they found a secret hidden, the cops, to their credit, found a secret dungeon in his basement, and there was bacon hanging upside down. And uh, his testicles had been removed, and Latunsky had eaten them. So something very strange was going on with that. And he actually admitted it in court. But he was he was kind of part of this weird online underground. Like I've always surmised or deduced, like somebody on FetLife or was doing this, or somebody who likes this kind of has that kind of kink. Hmm. So I think that that's really kind of what that's the whole thing. It's like the something's going on the communication of the internet that has extrapolated or shared this kind of mo to right. other people around the world. So somebody's I think of multiple people. And cells are involved doing this MO in a very hardcore thing. And that's why the cover of my first documentary was like a guy with two pipes shoved in his mouth getting force-fed water from this old video that was from Broken, which involved this one guy named Peter Christofferson. And it was like a total BDSM type thing. And if you follow that video, Broken... I think it was for Nine Inch Nails. It follows the exact kind of MO in my mind of what's going on. Guys go out in cars. They find a young guy walking on the street by himself. He gets taken to, you know, an underground place. Horrible things happen. And then they drown him. Like, that's how strange it is. Yeah, Like, that's why people can't think on that level, because not the average person doesn't think on that level.
1: Yeah, it makes you want to own a firearm if you don't already have one. I mean, really, you got to stay safe out there. I mean, with this kind of stuff going on, I mean... You know, I remember when I was younger, me and my friends, we would just be out all night, you know, doing whatever and didn't really have that kind of thought in our our mind. Uh, Yeah, I guess I'm I'm lucky. Maybe I was smart enough to avoid certain situations, but it was scary to think about, you know, especially if you have children. I don't, but, uh, you know. Yeah, we, we got to be careful with this. And, you know, one of the things that often is talked about in this, you know, community of, well, conspiracy theorists, I don't know if you would consider yourself a part of that, William, but possibly... I would say
0: alternate researcher. I don't...
1: Yeah. All my stuff is verified. Like, right, right. I don't have... I we don't say, you don't know, speculate all that much. Yeah, yeah. I understand, but it I, I think... It keeps me out of trouble. Well, and, and in the same line of thought with my previous question, I mean... There are some people out there who see this kind of stuff and think, "Oh, maybe there are aspects of our government that are committing these sort of crimes in order to give a reason or of, uh, you know, validation for a surveillance state, right? Because, you know, everybody's afraid I and mean, that's I forget the author who who put this together. Maybe it was David McGowan, but, you know, he was suggesting that you know these serial killers were not just lone psychos who had kind of cooked up this idea out of nowhere they were maybe people who were taken into some secret program made into killers and then left out in to you know the wild so to speak to do what they were you know and and what they had become Yeah, I mean, is there any part of you that thinks that this is organized at that level of military or government? I mean, there have been similar crimes that have taken place near military bases where young men have gone missing. So uh, is there any indications that it may be connected? Yeah,
0: there was a guy who I think he worked for the CDC who ended up kind of like as one of these cases. He was African-American. I forgot his name offhand, but he was found in a river mysteriously. But... I don't know. I never made that kind of, I didn't have that view looking at these cases that this is some kind of, the victims kind of are just so random. What is interesting about the victims too is that nobody really ever wealthy is has been abducted. It's very strange, like nobody, the uh, son of a famous person or something like that. Typically they all seem collar. to be middle class, mm. which is very odd. Maybe they're just the ones out partying late at night at bars. I don't know but you almost don't see like something from like silence of the lamb or lambs where the daughter of a Senator gets, you know, abducted. Right. So, well, that's what I, don't, me. I don't, yeah, I've never seen that evidence. I haven't seen anything that would indicate it was like the, it was run by the government or people with like some kind of, you know, it been tank tampered with by the government, not to my knowledge.
1: That's what made me think of the, you know, skull and bones th- like thought because, you know, the Ivy League for the most part is on the East Coast. There's no Ivy League schools on the West Coast. And, and for the most part, these crimes tend to you know take place. You know, I don't think the University of Chicago is considered an Ivy League school, but it's definitely I mean, it, it, it takes the same types that Yale and Harvard do you know it's it's one of these schools that's very old and respected again i don't i don't want to bring you into the realms of conspiracy theory speculation too far more than you're comfortable with but i do wonder considering what you just said about the the victims tending to be from the same financial demographic maybe it's these rich you know secret society right. types you know preying on what they see Good. as the lesser than i mean you know and
0: yeah, the University of Chicago was financed by the Rockefellers, so I right, right. don't you know. But there have people surmised there's been strange things, like Dakota James was, it's like they somebody ran a test on him before. Like, he was out. There's a really good article by Nicole Wisensee Egan, and she wrote about his story. The backstory is much, is much more curious than just a guy disappearing and being found in water. He had been out. He had called his girlfriend or a girl who was a friend and said, I don't know where I am. Can you come get me? And he was scared and he was crying and she came and get him. And he, the last thing they saw was like a black, like, you know, you'd rent a high end Uber, like a black kind of limo car drive off. And he's like, I don't even know where I was for the last six hours. And he was afraid. And then three weeks later, he disappears and is found in water like 40 days later in great condition. He should have been, you know, a human body decays pretty fast. He should have been decayed. He wasn't. So where was he for all that time? And then this other guy that I studied, Joey Labute, like he disappears around the time with the big bodybuilding. It's the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic happens in Columbus. It's the biggest bodybuilding invention in the world. So he just happens to disappear when all these people come into town and then fly out. Right. So it would be like the perfect crime. Like I'm going to go somewhere, commit a crime and leave it. They'll never find me because I'm flying back to Miami tomorrow. Right. So it's like strange like that. So, and I've had a friend who said, maybe these people are like hostile, like the movie hostile where they're pre-selected, okayed, And then something happens, like somebody flies in, like that gets
1: super dark, right? Super, super dark. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, as we've kind of, Looked at the pattern here, it does seem to indicate, as you say, you know, that these are organized groups of people committing these crimes, not, you know, single lone perpetrators. When it comes to the bodybuilding convention, is that a, another pattern? I mean, with other cases, do you see similar types of events where maybe people, you know, big groups of people are getting going to a city for one reason or another? No at doubt. That time?
0: Yeah, there's definitely a connection between deaths and either conventions or music venues Mm. or things like that. Like people have come out of Pittsburgh, like I think the guy's name was James Slack. He was at one of these, you know, big festivals and then disappeared and was found in water. So yeah, I do think that that's, that's true. And there, there was actually, there was a heterosexual serial killer who would do that. That's how he found his victims was at the, you know, drunk people at these festivals. So I think it's like a predator's, you know, dream is find people who are drunk, find people who are are incapacitated, and then they won't even m- mention anything. This guy, one guy in Chicago, like people, they're going after people. It was after, it was like at 2 a.m., people walking on the street. Some guy drove up to him and said, hey, you want to get in my car? I'm your Uber. He said, I didn't order an Uber. He said, well, I can give you a ride. I've got, you know, booze and wine and chewing gum in here. You want to get in? And it's like, no way. He didn't get in. And the guy said that this car was driving in tandem with another car. So like, why would somebody want to pick him up and how is it? And what are they doing? And so other people have said that so that people have like unsolicited ride offers Hmm. in Chicago. So maybe that's what they're doing is these, these killers. That's how they get them into the car, drug them or something. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so there is a, a connection with kind of big groups. There was, a case: A guy left out of the Niners game in Santa Clara was found in the bay. Like I mentioned earlier, TDI Gardens. I know cases out of there. Hmm. So, you know, I don't know what happens. I don't. I think that it's just like I said: like they're looking for people incapacitated or highly drunk, and then the, the, it's it's
1: easy game. Now. Chicago is a is sort of a you know unique city in the United States for you know extremely high crime and for many decades I mean it's not a new phenomenon I mean there's even been quote unquote terrorist groups within Chicago who were trafficking arms with Libya I mean you know it goes that right. gets that insane I think even like rocket rocket propelled grenades have been used within Chicago I mean the weapons that make it into that city is just terrible to think about but is there any indications that these people are associated with you know what we would maybe consider like street level gangs you know was there—is there any incentive for you know because like you say there's no credit cards that are taken people aren't being robbed right so it doesn't seem to fit that Chicago has a lot of gangs I'm sure but they, are, they don't seem to be you know culprits in this or we're not looking not
0: to me no it doesn't seem like that somebody who's thinking and probably older Mm -hmm. and it kind of reminds me of gacy john wayne gacy was a serial killer outside Chicago. His last four victims were all thrown in water Mm -hmm. so he kind of like this is how i'm going to get rid of bodies and if you remember the atlanta child killer too that's how he got rid of his bodies he threw them all in water and that's how he got caught is actually police were at these bridges trying to, you know, find what, what was going on. And they found this guy drive up in this car and he may have been networked to forgot what his name was. It's an Afro- African American guy. So he fit in and he was actually consistent with other serial killers is that they kill within their ethnic group. Hmm. So I didn't, I never saw anything having to do with, with gangs at all. Like, I, I don't know. Like I think that people may have been caught for other crimes and they just, you know, didn't get busted for this type of crime that they're doing. So just like this guy, Latunsky, something tells me he's probably done it before. He just got caught for one. Mm. So I think that that's, that's what's going on. I mean, I think that it's, they're, they're, if they're not like, what's the MO? It's that they're not trying to steal these people's money or they want them dead. What do they want to do? Why are they going after these victims? You know, that's what the real question is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, again, one of the dangers of being in these sort of fringe subcultures as well, especially like the BDSM community. I mean, you you know, it just it seems like and this isn't a judgment on people who enjoy that sort of thing, but it does seem like our culture has depraved to the point where these sort of crimes can go unnoticed and that to me, I don't, that's not right. I don't, you know, I think people, yeah, they should be able to indulge to some degree. But I mean, when it gets to the point of you know, hurting each other, you know, I don't know, I, again, this might not be your expertise. This is kind of like a psychology talk now, but you know what I mean? I mean, it just feels like culture has kind of especially with horror movies and and even the music video you mentioned before like that type of genre of music has a lot of that imagery i mean it, it doesn't feel like we're living in a society that is trying to you know get these things by the root you know we're just dealing with the the rotten fruits right and you even say like a lot of these cops are overlooking things and maybe not even and especially in the more recent scope of things with austin they just came out and said oh yeah we don't think it's a a serial killer we don't think these crimes are related but anyone on social media who's looking at this stuff is saying oh it seems like this is you know the sfk
0: right so the police are in denial they did the same thing in boston but yeah, I think that it's the culture has darkened, and it's probably not a surprise that these crimes happened within the kind of darkening of the culture and the advent of the internet. Like they started McNeil is nineteen ninety seven, the internet's just kind of picking up steam. Somebody's talking and, and on the dark web or something like that, or on Fed Life. Like I looked into this documentary called Kink that used to be on Netflix. And what it was is, like, they would do this, for, like, total BDSM stuff, and then people would stream in, right, and pay to stream in. Like, imagine something darker than that, like a snuff flick. And I know snuff do exist. Yeah. And there's been a couple of them out there. And talk about tandem killers. There's one that I forgot, which is Richard Ng and his cohort, the butterfly killers, where they were, like, literally abducting families and stuff and taking them up into the hills and Turning women into sex slaves in a dungeon. It was Richard Eng and I forgot his spence. I forgot the other guy, guy's name, I'll remember. Robert Eng. But yeah, so those things these things happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's fascinating too to see now, you know, with criminals like Damien Eccles being kind of Defended by certain celebrities You know Marilyn Manson And others I mean some Not as detestable as Manson I mean with Manson at least you kind of know What you're getting you know he doesn't Try to hide it at all but with Other certain people who have kind of I mean even in the podcasting community Duncan Trussell who I used to think was a interesting person I don't listen to his show anymore mostly because of that interview with Damian Eccles I you know I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater or anything but I just think that that you know indicates that he's overlooking some really glaring things and I know You've gone through great lengths to record, you know, the aspects of this, and you've talked about this a bunch. But if you could, for maybe folks who don't know who Damian Eccles is, could you give us a little one-on-one on, on his kind of how he came into this celebrity culture now?
0: Right. It is kind of strange. So the, the two tandem killers were Charles Ng, Ng and Leonard Lake. Those are the two guys out of San Francisco. They were capable of just horrible stuff but I got into the West Memphis three case after I wrote my first book and I realized that Alistair Crowley was involved in it and his ideas. And so then I wrote my first book, the second book, which is abomination double worship and deception in the West Memphis three murders. It's about the death of three young boys, eight year old boys in May on May 5th, 1993, they were, like Boy Scouts. They were out. They disappeared. Next day they were found in water. And then eventually the cops were doing their work trying to figure out who did it. And they interviewed a kid by the name of Jesse kelly kid at the time. And he confessed and and put the finger on two other people, Jason Baldwin, damien Eccles, real name Michael Hutchison. So they were arrested. They were tried separately. They were found guilty nineteen ninety-four. Both crimes were horrible. Like two kids were drowned. The forensic investigators said two kids drowned. And then another one had his genitalia removed and bled out. So really gnarly stuff. And then they just kind of became kind of there were People got behind them. There were three documentaries from HBO that kind of, I think the second and the third kind of obscured the, the case facts. They, they really were more closer to mockumentaries than documentaries in my mind created kind of a groundswell of support. They had sympathizers. They got a lot of celebrity sympathizers. They still have celebrity sympathizers. And some of the sympathizers were people with very deep pockets. So it was Johnny Depp and the director of the Hobbits and the Lord of the Rings movies. His name was, I can't remember right now, but yeah, so they got, they got out. They eventually got a bunch of support. They raised tons of money, 10 to $20 million, They got out in August of 2011 and kind of like the allegations that Eccles was into the occult, I would say turned out to be true because all he's done since he got out is be involved in esotericism and and writing books about ceremonial magic and things like that. And uh, hanging out with other members of that kind of occult community. A lot of people who I already had, or I've studied, I didn't know they were connected to him, but uh, Genesis P. Orge and some of these other people. So Eccles kind of, kind of showed his stripes, he covered his body in occult tattoos, and just said recently on a Tim Pool interview, I think it was within the last month or two, that one of the people who influenced him the most in life was Alistair Crowley. So all the stuff that kind of came up in trial, he's just kind of verified in this most recent, literally 2023 interview. So, and that was kind of a interesting interview and kind of a pretty well-known I don't know, to host, media host, Tim Pool. But, yeah, he was friends with Trussell. He was on some kind of show of Trussell's, which is called, like, Midnight IMAX or something like that. But, yeah. Yeah, he's still guilty at law, which he's never, the guilt that he admitted to in 2011 has never really been overturned by any appeals court or anything like that. But he still seems to have a lot of fame and sympathizers. And that's the case because I was getting harassed by them online. Mm. So uh, yeah, that's where we're at. It's been a long time, but yeah, he. I mean, I think he's in New Orleans now. He went from Salem, Massachusetts to New York City to New Orleans. So I, I don't know what...
1: And his defenders now, do they do they think that this crime is still unsolved? I mean, you know... That's what they say,
0: yeah. That's what that's what the West Memphis Three say, too. They say, oh, we got to go get out and find the real killers. Yeah, They don't seem to be working very hard trying to find the real <laughs> yeah. killers. But they say they're somewhere out there. And I think Heckel said in this most recent interview with Tim Poole that... He now thinks it was a former member of the police department, which I hadn't heard before.
1: So. Wow. Yeah, that's a Final convenient guy. lie considering yeah. his, you know, supporters are all, you know, the same that had ACAB on their Twitter and, and <laughs> Instagrams for the past three years, right? So I think there there are some kind of tropes going on there. He's playing into the hand of these people. But when you look, I mean, I've heard – You and Chris Knowles talk about this and Chris has done some work on this as well, where there were ceremonial aspects to the crimes that or the murders that were committed by that he did admit guilt to. Right. So, I mean, you know, when you when you compare that with the fact that he's still talking about ceremonial magic, clearly. That was some sort of magical in his mind, some sort of ritual act that he committed, and uh, yeah unfortunately, jail did not you know reform him, it just got incubated his you know interests and yeah it's i mean it's really it's really interesting mm-hmm. as somebody who personally you know I'm fascinated by a lot of those topics, I know where to draw the line, you know, like I could read a book about that and and proceed no further and say to myself, okay, that's interesting. I know what's there. But anytime, and I'll admit, I've wasted tons of money on certain books when I was younger, because I was looking for an answer that, you know, ultimately wasn't there. I think people, you know, who, who turn to the occult or the esoteric, if they're results aren't personal growth then i think they they failed and you know i i honestly think they're wasting their time because you don't need those things to grow as a person there are there are brighter roads to to follow to to take that on so yeah it's interesting you know how the occult and the esoteric have been veiled by the you know again more obscene darker aspects of our culture and they're forgiven for those dark aspects because it's artistic expression. Oh, it's, you know, it's it's you don't understand cuz you're religious or, you know, you don't understand cuz you're prejudiced, right? I mean, they fall on these excuses and what they're covering up, I think is is kind of sinister, you know? I mean, there are there are things to the occult like meditation and, you know, I think all of us can agree that that's harmless, but, you know, when it comes to sacrificing drops of blood, you know, you start with your own blood and you know, what happens when you, when you get tired of that, you know, I think that's, yeah, it's kind of, it's weird to even right. talk about.
0: <laughs> no, it's weird. I mean, it's kind of like what attracts people to that darker part of it. I mean, I think it's like right. your inner power deception because mm-hmm. uh, that's eso- what some esotericism is pretty light. Like, You know, meditation or whatever, but Crowley was probably the darkest of the dark ones, you know, the dark depths or whatever. So following him or wanting to admire him says a lot, I think, about those type of people's character. But uh, he's still an influence. I mean, a lot of those people in the arts and heavy metal and things like that go through a Crowley phase. They read him and are influenced by him. And his
1: practitioners and the Lemites are still out there, Dalamites. Yeah. And you know, I myself I've talked about Crowley on podcasts. You know, I've made it a goal to try to understand him and even try to look past, you know, the what people say about him cuz you know, at the end of the day, he himself was never found guilty of any crimes, although he definitely I think orchestrated a ideology that maybe entertained the minds of people who would then go on to commit crimes, right? I think he inspired people to take a darker road in life. But yeah, it's interesting with Crowley, you know, he himself seems to have kind of taken a as you said, with the people who get GHB, a route of misadventure, you know, I mean, even finding himself kind of whacked out on cocaine, heroin, and who knows what else when he was writing a lot of those books that, you know, guys like Johnny Depp claim they've read, you know, Dan, Damian, Eccles, they say they've read these books, but I've, I've looked through some of these books and if anybody tries to read books that are more than 50, 60, 70 years old, I mean... Maybe this says something about my public education, but it's definitely written in a tone and a context that's not immediately obvious, right? You know, I think there's a certain prose and style the way people wrote a hundred years ago that maybe we have become less sophisticated as a culture or something. But I tried to read Crowley when I was younger, and a lot of what he wrote either didn't make sense or went over my head. And I'm glad it went over my head if it did because yeah, it doesn't seem to have inspired much good, but is there is there anything that you found when you you researched Crowley that would be like a redeeming quality or do you do you consider him sort of like altogether a negative net negative for humanity A net negative yeah, yeah. found him in that
0: negative I think that he obfuscated the truth he was anti-christian I think his values are do what thou wilt, which means that he believed in total freedom. Mm. And I think he was a monster, so there's nothing really there. I mean, the the what made him successful, he could have took those energies that he used to kind of create this new Aeon, the birth of the child, the Aeon of Horus. He could have used that to do something creative, I mean, much more creative than what he did, or put it to a business end or something like that, but instead... He just was an occultist his whole life. So I think his achievements are all in that negative. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And all the people that he ruined, the lives he's ruined, the people he drove to madness and suicide. Yeah. For this kind of fantasy cultism of power and communicating with evil spirits and stuff, it just, it didn't end him. It didn't net anybody anything that great.
1: Right, right. There's even, I think his name was Victor Neuberg was the guy who he basically just used and abused. And uh, I think he ended up in a mental institution among a couple of other of his associates. So yeah, I mean, we can't say that he was ever arrested for any of that, but he certainly was not caring about those people. Yeah. Yeah, his, that... his
0: first wife was into the mental institution, Kelly. Right. There were suicides. A guy by the name of Mudd committed suicide. Mm. One of his followers died at the Abbey of Thalema. He mm. didn't have anything to care for his kids. He said to one of his, oh, she'll make a good whore. I mean, he, he wow. really was a, a nasty, craven creature. So yeah, his personal relationship, mean, he branded the women with like a brand like you'd brand a cow. With the mark of the beast,
1: So Well, and considering, yeah. you know, Richard Spence's work tying him possibly to certain aspects of the British intelligence, I mean, you think there's any indications that the, he maybe informed groups like the CIA in their kind of, you know, what they've now been found guilty of? I don't think they've ever been, you know. Prosecuted for it, but what was going on with like interrogations and whatnot, and torture—torture you know, torture of prisoners of war and things like that, right? I mean, do you think maybe he informed? I don't
0: know how much he influenced on that. I mean, but that kind of—you want to talk about skull and bones? They were the ones behind the National Security Act, which right. gave birth to the CIA. So, how many of those? I'm convinced that Crowley's books are in their secret library, so they know of Crowley. They just mm. don't admit it. And you know, there is a library in the tomb. So the overlap is probably there, and Curley really only hung out with like the, the upper elite anyway. People who were hanging out at Yale, he never, he didn't have any middle class or lower class sensibilities. He just saw them as slaves. They shall serve. I'm rich, you know. I'm a talented guy, so you'll do what I tell you. Yeah. But I mean, how much of the overt can influence of Crowley on them? I mean, I think it's accepted. Spence's work was great, but there's no doubt he was an asset probably his whole life, all the way to the end. Yeah. Forty-seven. He was always a loyalist to the Briton.
1: He likened himself to John Sykes' dog from *Like Oliver*. Mm. So, well, and considering what came out about Savile and him being pretty much protected and committing all these heinous, despicable. Crimes against children and and even elderly people and corpses, corpses. Yeah, I mean it seems like Crowley is not the last of this type <laughs> within England and maybe more. And,
0: and Savile said he admired Crowley according to according wow. Tim Tate's book. So right, well, and this to verify that, but. Well, That's my
1: understanding. So he knew that stuff, too. Yeah. And th- the stuff. There is a nexus connection to Skull and Bones because Theodore Roos, who started the OTO, which I believe Crowley kind of infiltrated or was a part of at some time. His, his, he
0: became the head in 1925.
1: Yeah. and, and But Theodore Roos, he was kind of in the same circles that the founders of Skull and Bones were in, right? Because these guys, they went over to the University of Berlin during their junior year summers and came back to Skull and Bones and or came back to Yale and founded Skull and Bones, right? So, I mean, this is speculative, but maybe they were kind of rolling in the same German occult circles. Have you looked into the OTO much before or after Crowley?
0: I've kind of tried to, I mean, it's a lot easier now with translations and research online, Mm. but there was definitely people around Hitler and things like that. And, and Crowley who were from the OTO A guy's name was, it was Hitler's favorite artist was an OTO member. So he had to have known Crowley Mm. and I can't remember his name off off the top of my head. Yeah. Frank, but there was all kinds of art that Hitler, like when that guy died, Hitler went to his funeral. Mm. So Hitler had to have known the OTO was around and is my guess that he was much more aware, maybe than historians would be interested in, but Hitler was an esotericist, no doubt. Yeah. Like all his stuff, like he was in the organization. He was Ostara. He would follow these kind of German, you know, mythic German, you know, forgot the orders it was. He would always get their magazines and read them. Well, so he was he was involved in all that stuff.
1: Considering what we're starting this conversation about just crossed my mind that the OTO has, you know, current groups, chapters, lodges, whatever they call themselves in Austin, in Chicago, in the Great Lakes area, in New York and possibly other places. Is there any connection <laughs> with this? I mean, o- the the contemporary OTO and any crimes? Have have you looked into you know what the OTO is up to these days?
0: It's a good question. There are there are all over the place. Eccles was a member of the OTO in in Arkansas when he was there, so I know that. What? Whether those crimes, any obvious OTO crimes? I don't know. I've included one like a Crowley cult in Britain, mm. but. That that was literally doing like Crowley rituals, satanic stuff, children, child sex abuse. And that guy's name was Batley. You can look him up. He was seemingly seemed to be network like he was traveling around Europe. Nobody knows what he was doing, but yeah, he was a Crowley type. So there are crimes associated with like Crowleyites and things like that, but some overt ones. Not off not off the top of the head.
1: Yeah, yeah. It certainly seems to have inspired a whole you know subculture of of people and you know whether or not that you know leads someone to commit a crime or maybe people who are prone to commit crimes are interested in this stuff and that's just part and parcel to that their psychology i mean i wouldn't know i definitely don't want to You know, cast aspersions on these things because, you know, I'm sure there are healthy, normal people who find entertainment in things that, you know, you and I wouldn't. I personally, I don't like gore or any violence like that in a movie. I just don't watch those movies. I don't want those films to be made personally, but I'm not going to go and protest them being made, right? It's just. The way it is. But when it comes to these crimes, I mean, we can all agree that nobody should lose their life for someone else's ritual. No one should be sacrificed to someone else's god. I mean that those kind of things are barbaric and despicable. And if this is going on, I mean, Chris Knowles to bring him up again. He's talked about Chris Cornell's death and how there were occult aspects to it, possibly relating to the siren. Do you think that maybe the smiley face killings have a, an occult undertone to them? Be given that you know all the victims end up in water. Yeah, perhaps.
0: I mean, they may be sacrificing these being people to god of the underworld you know Typhonian type stuff right so there are kind of ritual elements that involve water i'm not an expert on that mm. but they may be thinking that that's what they're doing like yeah neptune is if you go back to like greek myth right like zeus is on olympus and then i think it was neptune or one of the gods is underneath with the trident right right yep. he's always neptune. angry because he got shoved down into the bottom of the, the mm. ocean from the gods he wants revenge Mm. so maybe that's really what what they're doing I don't know I'm not part of that I only have like an internet connection so I don't know what these guys are thinking but I think that there's some strange stuff going on Yeah, the smiley face involved just the fact that that symbol is associated with the occult I know what it means it's you know it's like you smile through tragedy so there's all kinds of weird kind of Greek themes involved maybe Mm. that would indicate secret society or secret knowledge that's a terror knowledge yeah. But you know, I don't have, I don't have proof of that. Right. But, well, you yeah. know, I wouldn't be surprised. Chris Cornell, like some of these guys are hung in the bathroom with a red sash. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what happens, but I, I think if there's,
1: it might be more prevalent than people, you know, really wanting to acknowledge. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you spending some time here on the show to talk about all this, William. So Given the recent, you know, cases in in Austin and Chicago, I mean, you're going to be looking into those, I'm sure. But what else is on the horizon for you? You Have any future books you're planning? Anything that's coming out soon that you'd like to promote?
0: Just my podcast. People can see all my work on the Smiley Face Killers and some of the updates and things like that. You can just look for it anywhere. iTunes, William Ramsey investigates. But I do have some projects trying to get done. But I'll announce them once I put them out. But you can find copies of the two documentaries I did on Vimeo, under Smiley Face Killers and William Ramsey. And there, it's interesting because I can tell the interest is high in Austin because that's the number one spot where people are watching my yeah. old documentaries, which are, I think, stand up to time. But yeah, yeah, I'll try to get a couple things out. Hopefully this month, I'm really trying trying to get it done.
1: Wonderful. Well, I'm glad that we're in touch and I hope to have you back on when there is more to talk about. Please update me when you do release whatever you're working on. And yeah, thank you so much. Any thoughts, final thoughts for the audience? I mean, there may be people in Austin or Chicago listening to this.
0: Be safe. Do not go out. When you go out drinking or out with friends to do some of those activities, you should go out like you're going into the jungle in Vietnam. Everybody gets home alive. Don't leave your friends alone. And men have to act just like that as well as women. And things are just getting more dangerous. There's tons of fights and mm. craziness and guns these days. So right. be safe. yeah, And watch out for one another. That's what happens. It's almost like the Serengeti. The one animal that gets separated from the herd gets eaten. Mm. So don't be that one that gets separated. Right. And don't be, walk alone. So there's something strange going on. I don't know all the things, but these deaths that are happening all over, and they're happening in Iowa City, Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Moscow, Boston. Hmm. These are not standard kind of, mis- like, somebody goes out and drowns accidentally. Maybe some of them are, but there's so many cases right now that something strange is happening. So be safe, be careful.
1: Yeah. And typically people are walking from the wherever they're living to wherever they're going, right? I mean, I, I would imagine, you know, people who, like, where I'm from, the drinking culture is to bring a designated driver. So right. I think that's something. If you even if you're walking, folks, you know, bring somebody with you who you know is sober. Get your sober friend out with you. Ha- let him on, on the fun, and also have them you know keep an eye on everybody. Because yeah, I mean, maybe that is why these sorts of things happen less where people are you know driving to and fro. But but yeah, wow. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good observation. It really is them alone
0: walking. So they get separated either by a bouncer or something happens. But
1: uh, those are the victims. They're always seen walking alone at some point. It really is a good, good observation. Wow. Thank you, William, for being here. Thank you for putting this research together and helping people stay informed and staying safe because, you know, this is how we we gain the awareness. You know, if this isn't going to be reported in the media, somebody's got to talk about it. And I'm grateful that there are folks like you with sound mind researching this and trying to you know, make a better world. So until next time, folks, support William Ramsey. Go check him out. William Ramsey Investigates is the name of the website and the podcast, and you could search him on Vimeo. Just search William Ramsey, Smiley Face Killers, to find out more about what we talked about today. And until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, and that was our conversation with the great William Ramsey. Of course, you can go and follow him at William Ramsey Investigates. Punch that in in your browser. Look it up in whichever podcast app you prefer. So, yeah, that's this episode. Kind of a dark topic. Um, I think we're going to lighten up with the next couple of episodes coming out. We have Juan. Ayala coming on the show for an interview and a bunch of other great episodes in store. So stay tuned. Be sure to sign up on the Patreon, the Rockfin, or the Substack to support the show and get access to the full catalog of episodes. That's right. You're not going to get everything unless you support the show. So come on over. To the wild side, support us on Patreon. The link is in the description. Don't say you can't find it. Oh, I searched you on Patreon. I couldn't find it. Just go straight into the episode you're listening to right now. Click the description and sign up today. So with that, folks, we'll just wrap up with uh, a big shout out to the Hit Kit. Big thanks to our friends at the Hit Kit. Garrett down there, he creates the Hit Kit uh, all on his own. 100% owned and operated here in the United States. There's no American products for American stoners. That's right. Get yourself a hit kit today. It's the number one way to get lit. Whether you smoke blunts like me or joints or whatever, you keep them all safe and sound right there in your hit kit. And, uh, yeah, that's about it, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the, uh, the weekend and... Go and check out some of our older episodes. If you haven't listened to them all yet, go into the bonus catalog. Sign up and check out all of our bonus episodes, and we'll see you on Monday. Oh, one more thing. We got some five-star reviews. Well, we got a couple of reviews. I will say that uh, I'm not going to read reviews uh, that are less than four stars, so if you uh, don't like the show, go somewhere else. I'm not going to read your review uh, especially if you give us a nasty review. Also, I should say that uh, uh, you know you're not reviewing the episodes; you're reviewing the whole entire podcast. So don't you know if if a guest pisses you off, don't go and write a rude rating, uh, which is exactly what happened. So if you like the show, go and support us, give us a five star rating and review, and help bury these uh, you know imbeciles who wrote dumb comments. That don't even really relate, you know, uh, to what they're actually supposed to be for. The review is for the entire podcast, not just uh, one episode. But amidst two really crappy reviews, we have a great review. Uh, the World is Sick from the Netherlands says, Great podcast, five stars, my favorite podcast. Thanks for the content. Well, you're my favorite person who listens to the show in the Netherlands. So, thank you. I appreciate you And like I said Help us out It supports the show When you give us A five star rating And review Helps other people Find the show So go and bury Those uh, Snobby comments And uh, Immerse yourself In the moment Wherever you are In the now Peace um, We've had a good Couple of weeks Of shows You know Mark is doing A great job Even though he drives me Fucking nuts sometimes He's great No he's done a great job He's done a great job Good job Mark
0: You can call me Mark Palmer, Mark Palmer's cool.
2: Mark Palmer's... It's a beautiful day to be alive. Motherfuckers, it's a beautiful day, beautiful day, it's a beautiful day to be alive. That's all I gotta say. I don't think it's about money. I think they have so much. It's just about... It's it's a spiritual war, dude. It's so much fun. Spring flowers and pseudo-intellectuals Filled by hate with the face hour. when it comes to the hour of reckoning Recollect, reconnect with days happening Yeah, are you frowning or laughing? Are you making the grade or barely passing? Caught in the asinine like the afterlife Obsessed with darkness after you master light Cause it's faster than a blink When it's a bastard, latch to the clink, clank The money don't mean a damn thing ain't coming from the bank, dang, I'm out here daydreaming, the spirits, the egg, the self is the semen, uh, and that's cause life is the child, and it takes a village to give it the illest style, so, if your family think you crazy, mm, and you ain't got a village, I know you always got a place here, i can't Kick It, we chillin'. So smart, everybody, you're so smart. I feel like I'm waking up for the first time. crusty's on my third eye, but I'm back to the grind. Pop the blinds open, let the sunshine. Feel it on my skin, like it's been sometimes. Sometimes depression got me playing like Sisyphus. Others got me messing with mania like Icarus. And meditation helps with the sickness. Some say it's human condition, but it just isn't. There's more power in spring flowers. The circular thoughts that leave the mind devoured lines between reality and fiction, and some politicians get dirtier than dishes. Before a minute, just forget about the government. I'm looking at you and I, you where the love went. Cause we don't need a fucking village full of cynics. Need a family to foster a life worth living if it isn't. And your family think you crazy, yeah. And you ain't got a village. I know you always got a place here. Mm. Come on, kick it, we chillin', yeah I'm a conspiracy boy. <laughs> I'm a conspiracy boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a psychic, I'm a prophet, bro. Why why are you questioning this? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful day. I never trust a dude in a sweater. That's all I gotta say. (laughs) Mark Palmer's cool, how are you, brother? I'm great, man. How are you?